three, two, one. Welcome to, to our CI415 podcast. We are podcast group three, and we are all super excited to share our thoughts, opinions, and give you all a better insight of who we are as individuals and a group. Christina, cue the music. wanted to switch this week up with a fun question. Why did your parents give you your name? If it's a plain old story, it's fine. Please share. Also, please share where you're from. So I'm gonna start. My name is Cristina and I was born and raised in Ecuador. And I asked my parents to send in a voice message explaining why they gave me my name. Escoger el nombre para un hijo o una hija siempre es difícil pues uno trata de adivinar la personalidad que irá a tener y también le quiere desear buena suerte con el nombre que uno elige. Escogimos Cristina porque es un nombre latino, el cual eh, nos parece que evoca alegría, transparencia y felicidad. Creo que en ese sentido acertamos con nuestra hija. A mí me gusta mucho el nombre Cristina porque, aunque no tenemos Cristinas en la familia, eh, ten, eh, todas las Cristinas que hasta ese momento había conocido siempre han sido alegres, eh, buenas personas. Eh, es un nombre que se, es fácil de, de decir en otros idiomas, pero que no, no pierde lo que significa o su significado para nosotros en, en español. 
So my parents were just explaining that even though Cristina is not like a family name, it's still a very important name for our community because they have a lot of friends that are named Cristina and that name for them always brought a lot of joy and they wanted me to be like a happy person and always spread joy so that's why they gave me my name and they also were saying that they wanted to pick a name that sounded Hispanic and Latino but it was also easy to pronounce in other countries. Hi my name is Yelen and here's a short voice message from my mom um, explaining why she gave me my name. Both of my parents are from Mexico so the voice message will be in Spanish. Um, it's really really short. <laughs> Te puse ese nombre porque a tu tía Lucero le gustó uh, y ella me dijo que si te lo podía poner. A mí se me hizo bonito y por eso te lo puse. That was it. Um, my mom just said she picked the name because my aunt, whose name Lucero, um, she just like gave it to my mom like, hey, this would be a pretty name. And mom's like, yeah, you're right. Oh. That's my name. <laughs> I love it. Uh, my name is Annette and I was born here in Illinois. Um, I don't have a voice message from my parents on why they picked my name, and sadly there isn't a fun story on how they picked my name, but basically my mom just really liked the name Annette, and she thought it was a very pretty name, and so that is the name that they gave me. Okay, so my name is Amira, and I don't have a voice message either. But um, so when my mom found out she was carrying twins, she knew she wanted to do the stereotypical like twin bouncy names. So like each twin had like very similar names. So my name is Amira and my twin brother's name is Amir. So my mom knew she wanted to have that kind of sense and stuff. But so I'm Muslim. So our like, I guess you can say our native language for our religion is Arabic and not everyone speaks it. So like my parents don't speak Arabic, but I did learn Arabic when I was younger and in school. So the name Amira exactly translate from Arabic into leader or princess. So my parents named me after that because they wanted me to be like a leader, to be like a kind, a good hearted person and stuff. And it's pretty much leader, but a person who's good. So someone who's good, kind hearted is like really important too. And like, likewise, my brother, my brother Amir, his name means prince. So good leader good people and so yeah that's why i have my name thank you everybody so to start off we will be defining the terms for this week the terms include name change microaggression racial microaggression and critical race theory name change in the context of this week it means um the concept of changing a person's name so that it adapts to more of an american culture this has been one of the negative impacts of colonialism in which they try to forcibly conform foreigners and immigrants into a more ideal American. Microaggression is a term used um, for commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, or environmental slights, whether intentional or unintentional. They communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative attitudes towards stigmatized or culturally marginalized groups. Racial microaggressions are exchanges with the unconscious or conscious intent to insult, discredit, dismiss, and minimize people of color and their experiences. The insults often come in the form of throwaway comments or jokes, and regardless of being intentional or unintentional, they communicate hostile, derogatory, and negative attitudes towards those stigmatized and culturally marginalized groups. Um, racial microaggressions are just racism. And critical race theory, 
is the worldview that interprets everything through the lens of social and political power dynamics. It's a body of legal scholarship and an academic movement of U.S. civil rights scholars and activists who seek to critically examine the intersection of race and the U.S. law and to challenge mainstream American liberal approaches to racial justice. Thank you, Yalen, for defining the terms for this week. So in this podcast, we will be highlighting name change, critical race theory, and microaggressions in regards to the classroom specifically. Going off of what Annette said, we will be starting with name changes and the importance of pronouncing names correctly. Mispronouncing someone's name is sometimes seen as something minor or trivial without any real consequences, when in reality it can have a great impact on a person and their culture. Names are important because they're part of our identity. They tie us back to our family and our culture. To really understand the importance of a name, I wanted to start by reading a quote from Marcos Pizarro that says, when we choose our daughter's names, we want to give them something that they could carry with them, something that they could use as strength, as home, in a world that might not always nurture them as we would want it to. We give them Nahuatl names. We give them names that, are, that were hundreds of years old that carried with them the prayers of their great-grandmothers. Great names that represent their own spirit, but that also manifest the spirit of their people. Now that we understand the importance of names, we can start to explore the impacts of mispronouncing them. To fully understand this impact, we first have to look at the history of racism in schools. As we talked about last week, making children of color give up their culture and language to adopt the ones in the U.S. was a very big priority in schools. Native American and Mexican children, children were sent to boarding schools, beaten and shamed into speaking English and forgetting their religion and cultures. Then, in the early 20th century, teachers were encouraged to use curriculum that would help, help all students, no matter their cultural background, assimilate into white culture. Now, the education system is trying to become mindful and respectful to students' cultural backgrounds, but curriculum and state standards are still mostly centered in white culture. So, why is it important to pronounce someone's name correctly? Not putting in the effort to learn and pronounce someone's name correctly supports the idea that there is a racial and cultural heritage that is superior to others. It perpetuates the idea that traditionally white names are better than names used by people of color. Mispronouncing someone's name is a way of perpetuating racism, especially in schools. Starting in the 17th century, African people taken as slaves were forced to give up their names and take the ones of their masters. Even though this doesn't happen anymore, we'll still see the impacts today. A lot of times, people of color are asked to simplify their names or make them easier for other people to pronounce. This happens a lot in schools. Students of color are given nicknames they are not comfortable with, and sometimes teachers and classmates will even call a child a completely different name. This is a microaggression that is rooted in the idea that a person's identity is only acceptable when it is palatable or acceptable to white culture. So what are the impacts of mispronouncing someone's name? Children develop a, a sense of identity through their name. Oftentimes, what a child is called at home is their first ties to their culture, their ancestors, and their home country. When children are called different names or, or their name is mispronounced, this crucial part of their identity is taken away from them. 
Research has shown that mispronouncing someone's name negatively impacts their life, especially in schools. Students who have their names constantly mispronounced often feel alienated or excluded <laughs> from their classmates and are less likely to be successful in school. They are more likely to develop anxiety around school and have lower levels of self-esteem. As a result, students are more likely to resent their names or even want to distance themselves from their culture. This can have very detrimental effects to their social and personal development. So, what can we do to make sure we're not participating in these types of microaggressions in our classroom? I think the best thing we can do is educate ourselves on the importance of pronouncing names correctly. We should all start putting in the effort to learning our students' name and even the cultural significance behind them. We should call our students by their preferred names and never ask them to simplify them or change them in any way to make it easier for us. We should never sacrifice the student's dignity, culture, or identity for our convenience. This way, we can make sure our classrooms are welcoming and safe for all students, no matter their cultural backgrounds. You may be asking yourself if mispronouncing a child's name is really an act of racism. And the answer is yes, even if you don't intend it to be. As part of this week's course material, we read Rita Coley and Daniel G. Solorzano's paper, Teachers, Please Learn Our Names, Racial Microaggressions, and the K-12 Classroom. Coley and Solorzano describe critical race theory as a framework developed in the 1970s amongst legal scholars such as Derek Bell, Kimberly Krishna, and Richard Delgado to highlight race, racism, and its intersections with other forms of oppression, found on pages 6 through 7. This framework challenged conventional thinking about race-based discrimination, which believes that racism is a product of intentionally bad and biased individuals. Critical race theory claims that racism is systematic and is inherent in much of the American ways of life. There are five tenets of critical race theory. Number one, centrality of race and racism in society. Critical race theory asserts that racism is a central component of American life. It's the notion that racism is ordinary and not abnormal. Number two, challenge of dominant ideology. Critical race theory uses storytelling and counter storytelling to challenge the claims of neutrality, objectivity, colorblindness, and meritocracy in society. Number three, centrality of experiential knowledge. Critical race theory asserts that experiential knowledge of people of color is appropriate, legitimate, and an integral part to analyzing and understanding racial inequality. Number four, interdisciplinary perspective. Critical race theory challenges ahistoricism and the undisciplined focus of most analysis and insists that race and racism be placed in both a contemporary and historical context using interdisciplinary methods. And number five, commitment to social justice. Critical race theory is a framework that is committed to social justice agenda to eliminate all forms of subordination of people. Today, critical race theory and its five tenets are used by academic scholars to create collective narratives of people of color to tell counter stories that promote critical reflections that dominant perspectives narrate. The Coley and Solorzano texts repeatedly highlight how many teachers and other authority figures within the school system would perceive the mispronunciation of a child's name as not that big a deal and having no significant consequences for the child, which goes back to what Christina was talking about. 
critical race theory um, unpacks this experience as part of a larger issue of race and racism within the education system. Schools' curriculum and policies have been constructed to give and protect inherent advantages to white people, often in ways that are not obvious or deliberately insidious, but nonetheless result in perpetuating disadvantages for racial and ethnic minority students. Linguistic discrimination is the unfair treatment of an, in, of an individual based on their native language, dialect, and accent, vocabulary, word choice, syntax, etc. Consistently mispronouncing a student's name or renaming a student to something that is seen as more acceptable by the teacher is an act of linguistic discrimination because names can be categorized as elements of language. In every culture, a name has a story or meaning. By renaming a student to something simpler for the convenience of mainly white people to pronounce erases that child's culture. The new name given to the student has literally no meaning to them or their family. This action is also extremely disrespectful to the student's parents as parents of all, uh, as parents of all cultures pour their histories, dreams, and values into the names of their children. When you say people of color students' names are too hard, what you're really saying is that they're not important enough. The mispronunciation of a student's name is just one of the many racial microaggressions students of color face, and it takes a collective toll on their sense of self and their cultural connection. Thanks, Yalen, for going through critical race theory. Another reason why critical race theory is important is to keep out microaggressions from our classroom. If you're like me, microaggressions in the classroom is a familiar concept you have dealt with for a decent part of my academic and school career. Many students of color, including myself, have encountered cultural disrespect within their K-12 education in regards to their names. While the racial undertones to the mispronouncing of names in schools are often understated, when analyzed within a context of historical and current-day racism, the, um, these, in, these incidents are racial microaggressions. So, you might be wondering, what is racial microaggression? According to Dr. Daryl Wing Su, microaggressions are everyday, verbal, nonverbal, and environmental slights, snubs, or insults, whether intentional or unintentional, which communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative messages to target persons based solely upon their marginalized group membership. Microaggressions may be based on socioeconomic status, disability, gender, gender expression or identity, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, nationality, or religion. These insults or insensitivities may be exhibited by students or adults within the school community. Keep that in mind when considering each example. As reported and documented by students, the following are offered as examples for reflection in an effort to raise awareness and sensitivity toward creating more inclusive and supportive classroom and school environments. Sometimes someone who is trying to be nice may offend a person of color without this intention. Without this intention, statements carry more weight than some may realize. For example, a white teacher compliments a black student who has gotten her hair straightened for school pictures. The teacher states, I like your hair this way. The student appears uncomfortable and doesn't enjoy the compliment because it feels like an insult. Though the teacher had a positive intention, she, had, she has microaggressed this, the student. In this case, the student may feel that what the teacher is not saying is that the natural state of the student's hair before it's pressed isn't good enough. 
You can only ensure the racial microaggressions aren't promoted in schools if you are talking about race and ethnicity with school teams. Staff members should know how their actions or failures to act impact students of color. It is the school administrator's responsibility to ensure that the values instilled in students through staff and school initiatives celebrate students' identity, validate their lived, validate their lived experiences, and support their esteem. So you might be wondering what microaggressions look like in the classroom. Sadly, there are three main types of microaggressions in a classroom. There's one, micro-invalidations in school, two, micro-insults in school, and three, micro-assaults in school. To start off, micro-invalidations in school exclude, negate, or invalidate thoughts, feelings, or experiential reality of a person of color. In your work life, this may be a statement that says, the best person will get the job. When the employment protocol is biased or a failure to acknowledge a religious holiday that a co-worker celebrates, celebrates, this communication in schools can look a variety of ways. Second, micro-insults in school. Micro-insults are often unconscious behavioral or verbal comments that convey rudeness, insensitivity, and demean a person's racial identity. And lastly, micro-assaults in school are more explicit verbal and nonverbal attacks meant to hurt people of color. This can occur through labeling or name-calling, avoidant behavior, and being discriminatory. So you might be wondering, what as future educators can we do to make kick out microaggressions in our classrooms? And we need to keep that in mind that thinking about the microaggressions that live in schools may be tough from, for some school staff members to swallow. That is good. It's necessary. Where there's discomfort, there's always an opportunity for growth. If you are a school leader, take these feelings of rage, sadness, and confusion and use them to make your school better. Reflect on how your school works to inspire and lead students of color and think about ways you may need to change. Assumptions are made about students of color based on their race. Schools should operate with awareness of racial inequities and work to dismantle systems that impact student growth. But before schools attempt to talk to students about systemic racism and oppressive systems, they must first address racist thoughts and practices that exist within the staff and that live in school practices. Then, finally, school leaders must clarify how the vision, mission, values, and priorities of the school should change in order to support students in a culturally appropriate way. Now, before we dive into some heavy discussion, Christina, cue the music for a minute for a quick water and chill break.
Okay, thanks, Christina, for the music. So now we're just going to chillax a bit and just discuss about, like, this week's topic and how we can all relate to it or, like, you know, some things about it. But, yeah. Um, so I think, like, this week's topic for me personally all started off was just kind of, like, really interesting to see that, like, I think, like, personally, I think when we were all talking in the beginning about why our parents named our name, like, I forgot to mention, too, but, like, a big part of it was that my parents wanted to make sure that, like, Americans could say my name properly because culturally a lot of, like, Muslims, they choose, like, really, like, um, spiritual religious names that are just so hard to pronounce. And I remember my mom told me that, and I was like, damn, that's, that relates to the, what we learned this week so much that, like, we base everything on our lives just to, like, so it's easier mm-hmm. to accustom ourselves. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was so shocked about that too because my parents also said that they wanted to name me something that sounded Hispanic but other people could pronounce like all around the world. Mm-hmm. And that like also shows how we are so used to like making our culture maybe like smaller to make mm-hmm. sure it fits into everyone yeah. else. Yeah. yeah, and I think <coughs> that has protected me a lot from maybe a lot of racism mm-hmm. that other people face. No, I could relate, like, completely to, like, what we were talking about. Because I always introduce myself as Yalen, but that's the way, like, all my teachers have always pronounced it, and they're all white. So I just, like, adopted it, so I just say it naturally. But, like, I think Yalen kind of sounds weird. Um, The way my parents pronounce it is Yaelin, and I think that's, like, way prettier. Like, it's softer. Mm -hmm. But when I went to school and teachers would say, like, Yalen, like, I felt, like, really uncomfortable, and I hated it, but now I'm, like, used to it because of all the years, like, I've been called that. Um, but, I don't know, maybe I should start saying it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, maybe also when you become a teacher in the future, you can introduce yourself with, like, Aileen yeah. and, like, see how that goes, because I feel like as teachers, like, or, like, as future educators, I think we all want to be teachers, though, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> we all kind of, like, know that, like, we don't want to repeat the same mistakes yeah. our teacher did. Mm-hmm. So, like, definitely, like, asking students to, like, hey, mm-hmm. I want to say your name correctly. Am I saying it right? You know? Yeah. And yeah. I love those type of teachers, especially. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah. My name is, like, in Estonian, it's Anette. So, but, like, I just, (laughs) like, my whole life, I just let people kind of pronounce it how it, like, how they wanted. Like, I've had people pronounce, like, a couple friends would say Aneta, because, like, Anete, Aneta, it, like, kind of sounds similar. Some of my friends will say it, like, Anete, um, and then some will just say Annette. That's, like, the most common one everyone says Annette. But, um... Yeah, I mean, I just never really thought of it like, oh, they're mispronouncing my name. I was just like, oh, it's just easier for them to say. Yeah. Like, my name's not very, like, it's not a difficult name, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know. I just never thought of it, like, mm-hmm. that way. You know, I always mm-hmm. just, like, thought, oh, it's my name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's different Definitely, ways to pronounce yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, I think, like, one thing that I could we, we could all kind of relate to and see was, like, to last week's theme or, like, mm-hmm. the idea of colonialism has taken mm-hmm. such a toll that it's, like, in order to, like, not or, like, kind of, like, cut that fully as future educators, mm-hmm. we need to go back to, like, the roots or, like, mm-hmm. stuff like name changing, stuff that, like, people might be, like, oh, it's still common now, but it's been common for, like, literally so long mm-hmm. and, like, 
like I think like another huge thing that's like like we're talking about racism and racial microaggressions and stuff it's like common like stereotypes when people with certain names everyone just nicknames them to like mm-hmm. Mo and stuff yeah or like I have so many friends like because I'm Muslim you know their names are Mohammed and they're like no my name is Mo like call me Mo Money and I'm like no it's Mo. not like you know like you're named after like and then you learn about like a prophet or like yeah. a like mm-hmm. a like a historical like good being and stuff so I'm just like oh come on man <laughs> but yeah, yeah there are some teachers I've noticed a couple teachers will like so like they'll ask the student oh how do you pronounce your name and then the student will be like oh I don't care what you call me and the teacher will be like no like I want to know what you mm-hmm. like being called like yeah. what you want yeah you that's know? so important yeah. for me it doesn't happen with my name but it happens a lot with my last name mm-hmm. yeah. because it's Jordan but when you say it in English it's Jordan yeah. and I've had a lot of people that have just like try to convince me like no you are so lucky that your name can sound like American you should just say it's Jordan like Michael Jordan it's gonna be so cool (laughs) like no like and it wasn't until I came here that I started being like no I really want people to pronounce my name correctly Mm -hmm. and it means so much when teachers like call me by my correct last name or even add the accent because yeah. my name has yeah. the accent so that's really important and, or even like try to I yeah. feel like yeah. it's even the try that counts uh, this summer I actually got like the super cool opportunity to work in a kindergarten classroom and so they couldn't pronounce my last name which is like it's like really simple but it's Dadar and like the mm-hmm. kids couldn't ex- pronounce it really properly and stuff yeah. so because of that and because I was understanding that I'm working with like a lower range yeah. classroom with like the grades are lower I let them just call me Misty and stuff but definitely mm-hmm. I think this week I learned that like we can we can we can challenge our kids a little yeah. further. <laughs> I think it's okay. Just a couple more, but yeah. Going back to earlier um, about, like, how people change their names to make it easier. Like, my dad, his name is Yannot. And so every time, like, we go, like, anywhere, he'll put his name as John because, like, Mm -hmm. it's so, like, especially, like, Starbucks. Like, you know, they'll be like, wait, what? Wait, what? You know? So at, like, that point, he just, like, would say, like, John all the time and, like, Oh, yeah, and I never understood why. Like when I was younger, yeah. I was like, "Oh, like why are you doing yeah. that?" Like, is my dad John or it's confusing? Yeah, and I feel like like we can all relate to this to a certain extent. Like all of our parents, to a certain extent, have done that too. Like mm-hmm. same with my dad; his name is Farouk, mm-hmm. but everyone calls him Frank, and I'm like, mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah. no, we'll cut the cameras." But yeah, definitely. But yeah, yeah, I really like this week's topic. It yeah. was really yeah. interesting. It was very interesting. I liked how we can all relate to it too. Yeah. 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 Like, Especially because, like, as when you're younger, you don't, like, I mean, at least I didn't really think of my name like that. Like, I always just thought, oh, it's whatever people call me, you know? Like, I never really was, like, my name is my name. Yeah. You know? And I used to not like my name at all either. Oh, my goodness. But then I realized, like, it's something not, like, a lot of people, you know, have, like, it's my name, Yeah. Definitely. But yeah, so I think that pretty much cuts up week two yep. for a podcast, group three. So bye, guys. <laughs> bye. bye.